either, which you're like in a class all your own. Uh, we, ha- we have it up here for you, so don't, don't worry about that. Matthew chapter 16, if you're not there, I will pray for you after service. Are you there? Yeah, Matthew 16. Okay, let's start in verse 21. It says, from the, then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such, such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Can we pray this morning? Jesus, thank you so much for being here with us. God, even, even though we may not see you, even though we may not feel you, I, I pray, God, that we would sense you in a new and a profound way this morning. I thank you that where two or three are gathered, you say that you are here in the midst. God, we ask for your truth this morning. I pray that we wouldn't merely uh, just adopt a, set, adopt a set of principles or um, thoughts or, or a list of things that we need to do. But God, I pray that, that we would listen to your truth. And I pray that it would transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you like basketball? I'm on a sports, sports trip this morning. Basketball? Yeah, yeah, I got some basketball. Um, my daughter has been playing basketball for about three years. Um, it's been fun, to say the least, um, teaching her things like offense, defense, um, it's, it's a really funny thing that whenever you get a group of, of first graders together and you, you try to teach them offense and defense, literally the court is just mass chaos. Like she'll be playing, she'll be playing offense and the, the other team rebounds the ball and they all run to the other side. Um, she'll be, she'll be playing defense when it's time to play defense, but when it's offense, She'll run back down the other side of the court, and, and she's really supposed to be looking for the ball, but she actually just ha- standing there with her hands up in the air. You know, she's just standing there. Um, but since she's been playing for a few years, for those of you that like to judge, don't judge my daughter. She's only seven years old. Um, she's starting to learn positions. So they're teaching them positions. They're teaching them wing. They're teaching them post. They're teaching them uh, how to rebound. You know, some of the some of the basic basketball terminology. Um, and so. This past sat, last Saturday, excuse me, last Saturday, uh, she was having a bit of trouble with her, her shooting. She was set to be the post, but she was completely to the side of the basket so that the backboard wasn't even uh, able to be used. She was just hurling balls. Like they were going over the hoop. They were hitting the hoop and going over to the other side that sort of thing. So what was really interesting about practice this past Tuesday was, uh, I, obviously her coach just noticed it, and she's the only girl on the team. She's taller than all the other boys on the team, which is really funny. I take pride in that. Um, she could literally just, she could, sorry, I get like football mentality. Like she could go through somebody on the court. Like just, just go for it, girlfriend. Just, just get it. And um, so practice on Tuesday, she was still in that, in that place where she was post, but she was shooting the ball, and it was going over the hoop. And it was interesting. The coach had a, kind of a, a short one-on-one with her and said, the only thing you need to do, sweetheart, is you just need to change your positioning. You just need to step a little bit closer, and you need to take about two feet to your left or to your right, depending on which side of the basket she was on, so that the backboard's in view, and then she could shoot off and hit the backboard and put the ball in the hoop, right? That simple 
technique. She was making baskets left and right at practice on Tuesday. It was amazing. I was like, you know, I'm the dad on the inside. Like, oh, it's practice. And I'm like shouting, go, you're my girl. This is amazing. You know, because every time she makes a basket, she looks back at me to see if I'm watching. And I'm always like, like, I'm that dad. I'm that dad. Like, no, I don't do that now. But, uh, you know, just to affirm her, but that simple position just changed, changed, her whole, changed her whole perspective. And sometimes I think that's a lot of how uh, the Christian life is. We're in a series right now called Not This Year, Satan, right? You may have seen the t-shirt, Not Today, Satan. Like if something's going wrong at work, you can better be the first. I'm the one to verbally say, Not Today, Satan. And like, I don't work with believers and they're like, what are you, like, what are you talking about? They laugh because they think it's funny. Um, but we're taking it up a, a level here. Not this year, Satan. And so what, what the idea behind this is, is that we need to begin to change our perspective on a few things. Are you ex- wanting to experience victory in an area of your life this year? Yeah? That's what this whole se- series is about. This series is about not, not this year, Satan. I'm going to position myself closer to God. I'm going to align myself to God's truth so that I can experience victory in an area of my life. And in Matthew chapter 16, we see here that Jesus, this is when he begins to hang with his disciples, but not only hang with them, he begins to um, tell them things they don't want to hear. How many of you love being told things you don't want to hear? So you got to realize they've, they've been, these, the disciples have been traveling with Jesus they have been watching him perform signs and, and miracles. They, they are seeing prophecies from the Old Testament fulfilled right before their eyes. And Jesus begins to say, I'm going to s- suffer a lot. I'm going to be nailed to a cross. In fact, all of you are going to desert me while I hang on the cross. I mean, think about that. And so Jesus is saying these things. And the disciples in and of themselves, they are literally out of their skin. Do you know why? Because culturally, historically, the Jews, the nation of Israel, the Jews believed that a Messiah would come and would save them from Roman occupation. They were under Roman rule. But Jesus came as the true Messiah and that he would deliver the people. He would deliver humanity. Let me rephrase that. He would deliver humanity from their sin, their error, and their wrongdoing. So this is absolutely asinine that, that Jesus would be saying these things because the disciples think that they have, that there's another plan in mind. And Peter, they're walking together and, and Jesus is saying these things and Peter's like, Jesus, get over here. And so Jesus brings himself over to Peter and Peter literally starts reprimanding him. Like, you can't say those things. What are you, crazy? Like, what are you talking about? That's not gonna happen. And you can imagine Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. So loud that the other disciples were probably like, whoa, bro. (laughs) Jesus just called Peter Satan. Right? And so we have this very direct and very straightforward response from Jesus. But it was because Peter's thoughts, his perspective was born out of fear and uncertainty. His thoughts weren't aligned to God's eternal plan and God's eternal purpose. Man, that that lights me on fire. That even though Jesus knew what he would have to experience, that he would even go to to the depths of seeing that even Peter, this is like, this is stick your foot in your mouth, Peter. Peter was always one of the guys that just talked just to talk. Do you know anybody like that? He, 
he, there are several instances in scripture where he says something and it's like, oh, you wish you could take that back, right? But Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are, you are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. I think this series, not this year, Satan, isn't necessarily about the enemy wanting to try to attack us or, or try, try to steer us off the wrong course. But I, I think it's about, being, it's about being consistent with the truth. It's about knowing God's promises and knowing who he is and, and learning to grow in that. So we got to begin to align our purposes and our, and our plan to what God wants for our lives. Think about that thing you want to experience victory in this morning. You know, Pastor Adam uh, had opened the series last week, and, and there's, a few, there's a few areas or things that we really believe that God wants us, the family church, to experience, um, but also for, for each of you individually. And so this morning, uh, to kind of hone in on one topic or one aspect, uh, we're going to be talking about community this morning. Now, when I say the word community, um, you may think Pickerington, uh, you may think your hometown, you may think... Um, a, a geographical area that comprises maybe hundreds or thousands of people. But community can mean one of many things. Community can mean simply that, a town or an area. Um, community can also mean uh, the church. Now the church, we could mean the family church. Uh, community could also be uh, that one-on-one -on -one casual friendship that you have with somebody. So community can also mean togetherness, uh, it, it can mean openness. It can mean any one of those things. Fellowship, yes, big church word, fellowship. Um, but we want to focus on community and what that looks like because we really believe that community is one way that you can experience victory in your personal life. Are you with me this morning? You guys ready to dive in? So three, before I go into the, to the three actions, uh, community is very is very significant. I want you to see it from a, a scriptural standpoint. So even the whole way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1-1, somebody say it. Oh, wait, somebody say it again. I'm hearing in the beginning. I want to hear in the beginning. In the beginning, right? So very, very bold, very uh, introductory. In the beginning, God created the heavens. I don't know why I'm in a humorous mood. I hope you're enjoying it. Um, God is, is creating heavens, he's creating earth, he's creating night, he's creating day, he's creating land, seas, animals, birds, creatures of the sea, like, it's a beautiful thing, right? And then, on the sixth day, what does he create? Us, he creates man, right? Somebody said, us, yes, he created all of us, we've been here for 7,000 years, no, um, he created man, all right, he, he forms man from the dust of the earth. He breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. Soul. Um, but in Genesis, after the creation story, there's the first time where God says that something isn't good. What was that? It's not good for man to be alone. There's community. It may take or look like the form of relationship or intimacy in marriage, but it's still relationship. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make him a helpmate. Shout out, ladies. Come on, you can do better than that. Hey, there they are. Yeah. Uh, and so God 
takes one of Adam's ribs and he fashions and makes Eve. And he, he plants them in the Garden of Eden, no pun intended. Gosh, I didn't even try to be funny on that one. And he places them in the Garden of Eden. And even, even so much more incredible is what, is what God said even, even before he created Adam. He said, let us make man in our image. God said, let us. Who's he, ta- who's he referring to? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, three or one, we believe in the Trinity, it speaks of community. Jesus was much well alive before anything was ever created. That, that blows my mind. But he says, let us. You think about Jesus and the relationship that he had with his disciples. Like the word is full of community, even with when the early church had started. It was based on the revelation, yes, that Jesus came, died, and rose again, and ascended into heaven, but that believers would be united and joined together by the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit to live together in authentic community. That is part of the reason why you're here this morning. Thousands of years. Like, this is just a family church. Like, think of the, think of the global church. Millions of people right now are gathered. The, the, the Bible calls it a mystery. The church is a mystery. But there is so much purpose and so much power that we want to see victory and, and tell Satan this, this year, not this year, Satan. So three, three actions we should adopt in regards to community. The first thing is connect to community. We want to connect to community. Now, what I... What I what I mean by that is that there are several different outlets. You may be here. Uh, this may be your first time here. You may have been coming here for a few months, a few years, or you may have been a follower of Jesus for, for 15, 20 years. There are different ways or different scenarios with, wh- with which we can choose to connect. Um, connecting has a lot to do with relationship, has a lot to do with being authentic, coming into a place where you have the best interests and needs of the other person at hand, and vice versa. Like, that is healthy community. So when we're talking about connecting to community, what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that would be isolation. So the enemy of community is isolation. What does that mean? That means being alone. Did you know that you can be in a crowded room and feel isolated? Did you know that you could stand on a platform? Uh, you could play a guitar. You could hit the keys or, or pound the drums and still feel isolated. The enemy of community is isolation. So some people, they willfully isolate themselves. Now, I'm going to go down to a little, bit, a little bit of a rabbit trail here because I want to use an experience that I hope will give you hope this morning. Um, some people, they've, they, they've talked with Chrissy and I, us being in ministry for you know, close to 10 plus years, and the phrase, you know, hurt by the church or wounded by the church is, is a topic of, of conversation. Being hurt or wounded by the church, I don't necessarily think, I think it's an inaccurate statement because I think what happens is, is people who have willfully decided to isolate themselves, they've been wounded or they've been hurt by a particular person. I think there, there's been a, there was an experience that they've had 
that has kept them from actually enjoying and taking advantage of and being a part of all of the things that a community church uh, would bring. My wife and I were uh, student directors in Pennsylvania. That's where I'm from, go Steelers. Sorry, I, had to, I got to. I got to do that. And um, man, let's go. <laughs> I don't know why I'm all let's go. Maybe it's because it's divisional playoff or something today still. I'm stoked. But um, where was I? Student directors at uh, LifeSpring Christian Church. And um, we were in leadership. And there were some things that were... Uh, some things that were said or spoken in, in an instance where uh, we had, a, had offended somebody without realizing it. Um, they, in turn, had held on to this, uh, this offense, and it had turned into bitterness, and it had turned into unforgiveness. And, and we actually weren't even aware of it until three years later. And this was, this, this was someone in leadership as well. So that's always, it's extremely sensitive. It's very, uh, like, okay, like we, you know, we got we to gotta, we gotta power through this. We, we need his direction and his guidance. So we had a conversation uh, with, with, the, uh, with the other party, and um, it didn't go so well. And so it, it had in turn offended us, and we left the, the conversation offended. And can I tell you something? That was a huge, that was a huge test for my wife and I because these are people that we trusted, that, that we still trust, excuse me, I want to change my verbiage, that we still trust, that we still love. And um, we can remember calling Pastor Adam and Danielle, and, and we had taken part in contacting several different people that we were in community with, that were neutral ground, that, that we, could tell the converse, we could tell how the, how the conversation played out or, or how the situation played out, and, and we knew that these people were people who weren't going to judge. They, weren't gonna, they were going to be a voice of discernment. They were going to be a voice of wisdom. They were going to be a voice of love and of grace. And so after about three days, um, we had that uh, follow-up, I wouldn't say follow-up conversation. Follow-up not in the sense that it was planned, but we knew that being in leadership and knowing that this was a test, that, that we, needed to, we needed to handle offense the biblical way. And so we approached, we approached the party that was offended with us, and we had in turn had been offended with them. And we, we said we did it the right way. We did it in a, in a company of people that loved both of us, and, and we were completely and we were wholly restored, completely and wholly restored. And so when we talk about willful isolation, if you're in a place where you feel isolated, maybe it's from a friend, maybe it's, Maybe it's from a, a community, a, a group of people, or, or even a church. I want to challenge you to, to, get to, to get to the heart of that, get to the root of that, and, and do it biblically. You know, Jesus speaks of offense. He doesn't say uh, if offense comes. He says when offense comes, right? And two things you want to keep in mind about, about removing yourself from community is that, number one, it keeps the church incomplete. We're going to talk about this in, in 1 Corinthians 12, but it talks about the body and how the body has many parts, right? If you step away from the community known as the church, then you, you are keeping it incomplete because you have a part to play. And secondly, we attempt, we attempt to fulfill our role in the kingdom of God alone. 
You try to do things for God, but because the church is incomplete, nothing happens. There may be activity, but, but there's no purpose. Staying isolated gives Satan more influence in your life. There's a, a teaching in Scripture, Jesus is, is teaching, and he says about the, the 99 sheep and going after the one. You know, that, that is, that's a symbol of, of God's redemption. It's, it's the saving, it speaks of the saving power of Jesus. But think of it from a shepherd's standpoint. If one of his sheep was off alone by themselves, that sheep could be attacked. It's, it's literally defenseless. I don't know if you ever watch sheep or know anything about them, but they are, they're completely defenseless, and they don't even know it. Like, it just is what it is. So I believe that story speaks so much about community as well, that one who has isolated themselves, they're, they're in a place of danger. And so I want this, this year for you to be a year where you're going to be intentional about embracing community that you won't be like the, the one that strays and, it, and is susceptible and open to all kinds of attack or, or uh, hardship from the enemy. So what lie have you believed from Satan that's keeping you isolated? What lie have you believed that's keeping you isolated? Maybe from a friendship that you used to have? What lie are you believing that's keeping you from benefiting from being in a community like this, the family church. I mean, the, the family church speaks of community. It speaks of family. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 25 is a really, really awesome passage of scripture. And I think it, it puts it in perspective about the purpose of community in terms of speaking uh, to the church. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer of Hebrews is speaking to a church that is currently being persecuted. People are losing their houses. They're losing their their cattle, their livestock, their, your cattle and your livestock in that day were your checkings and savings account. They were losing their property. And most of all, some of them were being persecuted to the point of death. They were dying for their faith. So the writer of Hebrews is exuberant when he's writing this, and he's saying, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. That is a good vision for any church to hold on to. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another. One translation says to stir up. So the Greek translated in English for the word stir up or motivate is called paroxysm. And that word literally means to have a convulsion. Paul is using the language in this verse to to speak of the thrill of what loving each other and motivating each other to do good works will do. That it has a positive and it has a profound impact. But notice what it says. Think of ways. Consider. Be mindful of. 
Love and good works doesn't just happen, right? So part of a, of, of a thriving community, part of, a, part of a church is when we motivate each other towards love and good works. And what does, what does he say after that? And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is clear. The writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, let's do this together. Let's hang in there. Hey, what are you experiencing this week? What didn't go to plan? Can I pray for you? Can I be somebody that can just listen to you to understand and not not to respond? Can I come alongside you and be a person that will have no judgment? That's what we're talking about when we talk about community, when we're talking about the real and the real plan that God has for us as a church. But the thing with connecting, as the scripture said, it takes effort. We have to make a choice to move towards community. Community very rarely comes to, comes to us, right? When I've, when I've wanted to develop friendships or wanted to be a part of something, guess what I'm doing? I'm going. So having community takes effort. See, the church, we can have connect groups uh, we can have events where we provide that opportunity for us to come together and, and do things together and get to know one another. But really, it comes down to you being a part of, of community, you actually making the effort and being a part of that. It goes, it goes, with, te- it goes with our team nights that we just started recently. Um, anything that, that we have available to you, make that conscious decision to move toward community. The second thing, con- Contribute to community. First Corinthians, or yeah, First Corinthians chapter twelve and verse seven. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, "Verse seven: A spiritual gift is given to each of us, so we can help each other." Now, what you have to realize about the church in Corinth is that they were so caught up in their doing. They were so caught up in the gifts that they had that they began to compete against one another. And there were members in the church who would fake their gifting in order to make it look puffed up and make it look profound. So Paul is addressing the church in Corinth in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and he's talking, about the, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how the gifts of the Spirit aren't given by man, but they're given by God. And they're given without repentance. That means once God plops it in you, he can't take it out of you, right? You've been gifted with that. Now, the difference between a gift and a talent and skill is that skill is acquired by learning, right? You think of some of the great athletes. Some would say they're gifted. I would disagree with that. I think that skill obviously makes what seems like their gift really awesome, like high level of talent. A gift or a talent is a a special ability, an innate ability. So when you mix your skills and your talents, you have have a gift. You You have a natural gift. Think of a natural gift that you're good at. That gift, even though it may not be one of the 12 gifts that are here, that gift, that talent, 
that strength, that skill, it benefits this community. And so God has given us the gifts for what? For the edification of the church, for the building up of the church, for his kingdom purposes. Now, the enemy of contribution, remember we said connect to community, contribute to community. The enemy of contribution is insecurity. You see the church in Corinth, they begin to lack confidence and trust. But it was because their confidence and their trust wasn't in God. And so they started acting holier than thou, and my gift is better than you. They especially like the gift of speaking in tongues. That was, that was one of the big, big arguments and discussions in the early church. And they had people who had the gift of speaking in tongues, and then people were speaking in tongues, and it wasn't, it wasn't uttered by the Holy Spirit. And so it was just this, it was this mess, and, this, and Paul writes, and he says, listen, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Verse 27, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So he likens the different giftings like a human body. The human body has many parts. It's diverse, it's diverse, but it's also unified. The parts work together. And Paul says, hey, let's use the gift that you have that's different than the gift you have, and let's build the kingdom of God. God has called you to use your gift He's called you to use your talent and your skill for the body of Christ. It's quiet in here. He's called you to do that. The enemy of, contrib- of contribution is insecurity. Insecurity is lacking confidence or trust. You know what's funny, though, is that your trust, if you're, if you're feeling insecure about something, if you're feeling insecure or you're comparing yourself your trust should come from God because God is the giver of your gift. Does that make sense? It's kind of like once you get out of, the, out of the cycle of insanity and you realize that God has given you this gift and you, and you become confident in it and you gather in community and you let others speak into your life that you have this gift and that you should use this gift and it should be crafted and it should be, um, it should be honed and it should be pointed and it should be pruned. It's an amazing thing because God is the giver of your gift to begin with. So put your confidence and your hope and your trust in God. Trust that he has your best interest at hand and that he has given you that gift to bless others, to serve others. Comparison kills community. Verse 15, I'm going to hop back up here. It says, if the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Comparison is the killer of community. The root of comparison is insecurity. You may be in here this morning, and you're comparing yourself to somebody else. Well, why don't I have that gift? Why don't I have that talent? Why don't I have that skill? And I think that was me to a certain, certain extent as well in my friendships. There were certain things that friends would do that maybe I wasn't good at, and it, it left me insecure. It left me feeling like, oh, man, I, re- I really want to do that well. I want to learn how to do that. But it had to take me taking an effort 
to saying, hey, can you teach me how to do that? Can you show me how to do that? And that builds confidence. Not, not confidence to do what it was that, that they were doing that I wanted to be well at, but it gave me confidence that God had my best interests at hand. Some of this stuff is, is, is a little uncomfortable because it speaks to, it speaks to why, we, why we may keep ourselves from community. But Paul told the church in Corinth, you're comparing your gifts when God has given each of you a gift, not for yourself, but to build up the church, to build up others. Contributing or giving of your gift, it will involve some level of sacrifice. It will maybe involve you doing something for somebody and then may not giving you anything in return. Do you think it's, do you think being a contributor or a consumer is healthy? Which one, if you had to take a pick? Which one, which one seems that, like the healthier option? If you're contributing to community or if you're consuming, if you're giving to community and taking from community, which, is, which do you think is healthier? I think it's healthy to have both, right? Because if we're giving our gifts and we're giving our, our talents and our skills to others, then that reciprocation almost always comes back to us, right? So I think both is healthy. I think we should take inventory and we should say, hey, have I been more of a contributor or have I been more of a consumer? We might be a little off balance right now, but I want to encourage you and challenge you to take inventory about that. And the last one is create community. Create community. And you say, Andrew, what do you mean by that? It's, it's amazing because 1 Corinthians 12 actually ties into 1 Corinthians 13. And how, what do we know 1 Corinthians 13 to be? The love chapter, right? You hear it at weddings, uh, at proposals maybe. Paul gives his definitive description of love. And he goes through it, verses 1, 2, 3, the whole way to verse 8. And the last part that you and I hear if we're at a wedding or we read it or it's somewhere, it says, it says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The last part that we hear is love never gives up, but we leave out the last part of that verse. It says, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Listen to this, prophecy, verse eight, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. The gifts that you and I possess, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. See, this church that was so focused on their gifts, they were so focused on their gifts that they became insecure and they wanted to try and outdo each other. Paul is making an uncompromising and bold affirmation that introduces 
the contrast with the spiritual gifts, which will not last. But what does he say last? Love. Now there are many versions of love in the Greek language. Eros speaks of the the physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. Phileo speaks of the love of a casual friendship. But Paul, in his definitive description of the word love, he's using the Greek word, it was rarely used in that day, was agape. And agape love is a love that is based on the deliberate choice of the one who loves rather than the worthiness of the one who is loved. If you wanna create community, if you wanna be a person that desires and seeks connection, friendship, family, community, it's gotta be rooted in love. When we come into this place and we serve, if you wanna be a part of what we do here, I pray that our foundation for the things that we do here inside and outside this building would be love. That they would be rooted and they would be grounded in love. And church, it all comes back to Jesus. We can love because he chose to love us. It wasn't based off of our worthiness, but it was based off of a choice because God desired for us to be brought into his family. And he made a way for that. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came, he lived a sinless life. He was brutally beaten, tortured. He was nailed to a cross. He hung on that cross for six hours while he suffocated in his own blood. And when he said, it is finished, that was it. You and I have community with God. And because we have community with God, we can have community with each other. Not this year, Satan. I pray that you would be a person that would take a step this year towards community. If this Christianity thing is new to you, I pray that you would be a part of what, of, of what we do here on Sunday mornings. That's cool. If you've been here for a little while, I would say take it the next step in the, in the right direction. Get involved in a connect group. If you wanna make it a little personal, those of you here who love to be hospitable, who, who love to, to cook for people, I'm looking over here. If you like to have people in your home, take that. Maybe you've never, maybe you've never done it before or you've done it and, and, and you just haven't because maybe you've been busy. Take intentional time, call somebody, have them over. It doesn't have to be dinner, it could be cake. I like cake or ice cream, ice cream's better. Tell Satan, not this year, I'm gonna be intentional. Because you know why? Somebody's deliverance, you could help somebody see their deliverance a lot clearer by being in community with them. It's super, super powerful. At the end of that, he says, end of chapter 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith enables us to come to God, but love enables us to imitate him. Let's be imitators and love like he loves. Let's love like he loves in regards to community. Let's take that next step. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we're so grateful 
for your plan. We are so grateful that redemption is in your story and that it practically encompasses your story. God, and as we're talking about being together, being in community, being in relationship, God, I wanna give space and time for anybody who needs to be or wants to be welcome to your family. So God, I, I thank you for every heart that's here. I thank you, Spirit, for giving us wisdom, for giving us peace of mind, for hope. But I would ask if there's anybody out there who says, Andrew, I wanna be a part of God's family. I may not have everything together and that's okay. I may not know everything and that's okay. But if you're out there this morning, you say, Andrew, I wanna be a part of your family. Can you just raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. We wanna welcome you into God's family because it really starts there, knowing that you're accepted and you're loved. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Andrew, you know what? I feel isolated in areas of my life. I feel isolated from community. It's been a struggle of mine. And I just, I just don't, I just am unsure how to kickstart it. If you're experiencing any, any amount of isolation with, it, with the community, with this community, can you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. Say, Andrew, I wanna move away from isolation towards, towards community. I wanna to connect to community this morning. And lastly, maybe you're here this morning and you've, you're caught in the comparison trap. Maybe you're here and, and you think, man, if I could just be like that, God will accept me. If I, if I could just have that, that one thing, then I'll, I'll feel whole, I'll feel complete. If that's you this morning, can you just be honest with God? Can you raise your hand? I wanna pray with you. God, I thank you for what you're doing this morning. Thank you, God, for those who have come to a place where they're honest with themselves and that they know that they can begin to put their confidence and their trust in you. God, I pray for those who may feel isolated, who feel like it's just them and it's them against the world. God, I pray that the truth that you speak will set them free, that you have You've called them into relationship with you and you've called them into your family. I pray that they would take those steps towards reaching out, towards being a part of the grace and the love and the peace that you have to offer through your community. And for those God who are here this morning and they may find themselves in comparison, God, I pray that they would have, I pray that they would have a sit down with you and that they would allow you to speak to them so that they can have that godly confidence and that godly trust. And they can walk in confidence of who they know they are and what they bring to the table. God, I pray that we would continue to move towards love. I pray that we would continue to lay aside every weight, every hindrance. And God, that even though we may not know how to walk through this thing in its fullness, that we have you to lead us and guide us. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.